Welcome to Raffa Radio, a series of podcasts in which we'll be exploring the investment universe and sharing our interpretation of what's going on. Today's edition is a little bit different to previous episodes. Over the next 10 minutes, I'll be joined by Duncan McInnes, investment director and one of our core fund managers. Duncan is going to give us a whistle-stop tour of the quarter and pull out a few of the more strange and startling developments which have been occupying Ruffer and indeed investors across the globe. Duncan, it'd be helpful if we could start by you providing an overview of the quarter. So what did markets do in the UK and elsewhere and how did Ruffer fare? So stock markets globally were, were mostly up a little bit, uh, but then they came back uh, in late September as a couple of events like Evergrande or the UK fuel crisis and the noise about the US debt ceiling gave people the jitters. So notable mentions probably go to Japan, which was the best performing market, up up 5%. And perhaps uh, not surprisingly with everything that's gone on over there, MSCI China was the, the worst at minus 18 Gold and bonds were down a couple of percent, and in the currency market, sterling was weaker, and the dollar was notably strong. And that Chinese risk will come on to uh, a little bit later. Now, the reflation trade, which we've talked about a lot over the course of the last year, has stuttered a little bit. Now, the reopening of the global economy was never likely to be completely plain sailing, but has the progress made here disappointed or surprised you? I think, like you say, nobody expected it to be a smooth process. A year ago, we were saying that the global economy is not Netflix. You can't just press pause, have a synchronized global lockdown, and then seamlessly press play again to resume. It's far more like an immensely complicated industrial process or a, a power station where everything needs to be in the right place, and that's quite complicated, and you need to have all the right staff and that's not easy at the moment. And then you need to sort of build up to full capacity. And that is happening. We're experiencing it right now, but it, we're also experiencing how difficult it is. And the Delta variant was a bit of a spanner in the works. But I think what that does is it just delays the progress to the recovery. And in terms of rougher portfolios, Duncan, it's felt that they've been at something of an impasse. There have been no material shifts in asset allocation over the quarter and indeed the quarter prior. Is that because of nervousness or do you have faith that the portfolio is as well positioned as it could be? So our return for the quarter was just the right side of positive. And in terms of outlook, I would characterize us as a little bit nervous in the short term but I think we have increasingly high conviction that we're well positioned for the longer term. And let me uh, flip the question another way. Think about all the things that have happened in the last three years. We went from almost having Jeremy Corbyn as the Prime Minister to having Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, then Dominic Raab, Chris Whitty, Carrie Simmons was Prime Minister for a while, it felt like. Um, you know, almost everyone has had a go. We, we survived a pandemic, we had a mini depression, we got through Brexit, and then we had this face-melting stock market rally. So we had every type of investment weather you could imagine, and through that whole maelstrom, the rougher portfolio has delivered 11 consecutive uh, quarters of positive returns and around a 20% return overall. So in that context, I'm, I'm not really that worried about the portfolio taking a breather. Uh, when we're up about 8% year to date. And honing in on the last quarter, where has the portfolio made money? 
So the, the best investment for us this quarter were, were the oil stocks. They were up about 10 to 20% across the board as energy prices surged around the world. And that's, that's worth touching on in a bit more detail. Japan was the strongest market, as I mentioned, so our exposure there rose with the market. And we recently re-engaged with the Japanese banks, so the timing there was quite good. And Ruffer ended up broadly flat for the quarter, so what was on the other side of the ledger? Yeah, yeah, so there were some negatives. Uh, right up until the last few days of September, it was our hedges that were holding us back. Uh, the protections against rising interest rates and falling equity markets seemed pretty redundant throughout the quarter, but they did help a bit in the, the rough few days that we've just had, uh, but they still did contribute a small loss. Gold has continued to be poor. It's down 10% for the year, which is quite remarkable, I think, given everything that's going on in the macroeconomic and inflationary context. Long-dated inflation-linked gilts were having a good quarter and were up about 10% until the last few days of the of September when uh, they fell pretty dramatically back to a small negative. Okay, Duncan, so let's let's move on to the oil stocks which performed so well over the quarter. Yeah, so we have about 7% of the portfolio today in oil and gas equities and I think the bull case here is really quite simple. They are a pure beneficiary of higher global economic activity and inflation. The, the trends for growth and ESG investing have left them totally unloved and lowly valued. Now, the green transition, which we're fully supportive of and at this stage seems an inevitability, has had the consequence of raising the cost of capital for, for these industries. And that means that they've been unable to invest in, in CapEx for the last few years. So supply is constrained. But the demand picture, counterintuitively, I think, is actually quite bright. Really, really bright if you look at the queues around UK petrol stations in the last week or so. Global oil demand is forecast to continue to grow for at least another five years. And the greener world that we all want requires fixed capital and commodity investment spent up front. If you think about it, you can't make a smart grid or an electric vehicle or a wind or solar farm without a lot of copper, cobalt and oil uh, in, in the first instance. So we think that these stocks will have um, higher earnings and more enduring earnings than are currently factored into the price. And if you add up all of the listed oil majors in the world, you get a total that's about 40% of the value of Apple. So they're actually quite small in the grand scheme of things these days. Duncan, those are quite remarkable figures. The debate du jour continues to be about inflation. So where are we now? Have the Federal Reserve been vindicated with tempering inflation numbers, maybe indicating that inflation was indeed transient after all? So this transitory debate, I think, is becoming a little bit tired and, and misses the point. For a start, how long is transitory? They've never defined it, and it's now been seven months. So zooming out a bit, we think that the world has shifted into a more inflationary regime post-COVID, and I think there's a strengthening case for that with what we are observing in the world around us. Price rises and shortages are becoming endemic, and you know, is some of that due to COVID or supply chain bottlenecks? Absolutely. Does that mean that we have not shifted into a new inflationary regime? Absolutely not. Everywhere we look, there's these shortages from HGV drivers to hospitality staff, um, cargo ships, cars, semiconductors, petrol, even Rolex watches I was reading about the other day. And at some point, I think we have to consider 
that these are not isolated events, but they're part of a broader trend. And this isn't a Brexit thing, it's a global thing. McDonald's and FedEx in the US cannot get staff despite offering large pay rises. And we all know that many manufacturers around the world cannot get the parts that they need. But what to dwell on, I think, is that if we are right and inflationary pressures are building, what can policymakers or governments do to stop that? And not very much without causing some serious problems would be our contention. The genie would be out of the bottle. Now, one of the other big stories of the quarter came in the shape of Evergrande's debt crisis. So that's the Chinese property developer. And for a while, commentators thought that it might well be China's Lehman Brothers moment. What was the story here? Well, the first thing to say when you're talking about anything related to capitalism with Chinese characteristics, as they call it, is that it's going to be very complicated and nobody outside of China really knows. So the facts as we know them are that Evergrande is this very large Chinese property developer that has gone badly wrong. And to give you an idea of the scale of what we're talking about here, they had $300 billion of debt and they had something like 1.4 million homes under construction. So to compare to Barrett Developments in the UK, they make 17,000 homes. So it's about 80 times larger than the UK's biggest house builder. However, for those uh, in, in the know, this was a well-flagged problem. The company has been a slow-motion train wreck for some time, so I think those layman comparisons are slightly overblown. But what the affair does reflect is China's chronic problems with debt and its over-reliance on fixed capital investment for GDP growth. So I don't think it's necessarily a global financial system goes bang moment, um, but you know we'll, we'll see. Famous last words. And to summarise, Duncan, what are the key messages for the quarter? What should we take from the quarter going forward into the end of the year? So as always, our portfolio is, is balanced and is prepared for all weather. But we do have a strong view on how events will pan out from here. The big debate, as we touched upon, is whether inflation is transitory or not. We will know a lot more in three months' time. We could be mired in a winter of discontent. We could be in another a variant-related lockdown, or we could be much further along the road to post-COVID normalisation. But what is exciting to us is the asymmetry that we see in the market setup. So if inflation is transitory, and uh, that means we get uh, to keep lower for longer interest rates, if that's the correct framework, then not much needs to change in the market. And the, the market's very much all in, I think, on that being the correct view. Our portfolio will be okay, but there will probably be more exciting places to be invested. On the other hand, if inflation becomes persistent, then that, we think, forces a major change in market pricing everywhere. And we think that would be very beneficial for us. Duncan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for listening. For more on Ruffer and how we think and invest, visit ruffer.co.uk. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The views expressed in this podcast are the views of Ruffer LLP. They do not constitute as investment research or advice and may be subject to change. Ruffer LLP is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Thank you.